Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Thank you, thank you. Good morning, everyone. God, there it is. Good morning. <laughs> well, again, my name is uh, Israel. Professionally, it's Jacob, but friends is Israel, so please call me Israel. <laughs> Uh, it's a pleasure being here as uh, worship leader was sharing. Uh, Pastor Josh, we go way back, extremely back into the early 90s, I dare, dare to say. Um, and his father and my father are pretty close uh, friends. Uh, I am a pastor's kid as well. Um, so our trajectory is, is quite long. And we're in Grand Rapids, Michigan, serving God and been doing that for many years now. My wife and uh, my son and my two girls are here today. The two girls are in, in their classes. And uh, again, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, if you would allow me in this morning to share something with you, uh, I ask that you open up your hearts, uh, open up uh, yourselves. I believe God will speak to us this morning. How many of you guys are ready for God to speak to us? Amen. So, this might be review for some of you. For others, this might be something new. But, uh, like I said, just let God speak to you. In this message uh, that I've shared, and it's a message that God gave to me quite some time ago, and it's still relevant today. If it wasn't relevant or I wouldn't feel the need to speak about it, I honestly would not speak about it. But I believe that in the times that we're living now, the church needs to be more woken than ever. I believe that in the time that we're living now, we need to be more alert than ever. We need to call on God now more than ever we have in our lives. It is very important that us, the believers, us, the people who are Christ followers, be ready for the movement that is coming for the church of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys can say amen to that? Amen. And God is calling you. He is calling me. He is calling all of us. I believe that there's going to be a great awakening. In the, in the late 90s, there was revival, revival. Everyone was calling for revival. I don't know if you guys remember that. But now, where is talk about revival? Where is talk about the movement of God and the spirit of God moving? It needs to be still today. God needs to be moving. It needs to be uh, in evidence. Uh, and I will make a, a quick disclosure. Let me pause for a minute. I know most of you guys are like, why are you pausing? So 99.999% of when I speak, I speak in Spanish. So if I say a Spanglish word, just follow me. Don't worry. You'll get it. It'll catch up. Uh, and uh, I have spoken many times in English, but like I said, most of the time. In fact, my notes are in Spanish. This Bible, I had to ask for my wife to let me borrow it. She has a bilingual Bible, but I usually speak out of a Spanish Bible all the time. But again, let's go back into where we were. We need to be ready for the movement of God. So if it's okay with you, uh, this message, uh, I was talking to Elena. Uh, you know, I'm not very good in giving a name for a message. Uh, you know, there's people that are like, got great message names, you know. Uh, mine, I, I, I just titled this, and this was some time ago. It's Jesus. And then uh, we're repeated after me. Say, Jesus. Put your hand on yourself. Say, me and the church. Let's do that again. Jesus, me, and the church. Amen. Let me pray real quick if it's okay. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. 
Jesus, I ask that you come and minister our hearts, God. It is you that does everything. It is not me. It is nothing that I can do. It is all that you do, God. And we ask that you come and bless each heart, God, each mind, each soul, God. Enrich us today in your word, God. Let us grow and let us leave here, God, loving you even more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So what is the church, right? And one time I asked this, and someone shouted it out, and trust me, like I said, most of this will be review for, for you guys. But the church, it's not a church building, right? Uh, you know, the pandemic, when it hit last year, church buildings got taken away. You know, they shut them down. And, you know, so we, we, we asked, what's the church? All right, let's put a tent. Well, a wind can come and blow a tent away. And, and, you know, we asked, what is the church? It's not a building. It's a place. And we know this where believers come to worship. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in your home, there should be a church uh, on your car right here. If two or three are, you know, you're worshiping, coming ready for church. Church is everywhere. Church is everywhere. Say that with me. Say that with me. Now, it is important to come together. So don't say, oh, Israel's sad. Church is everywhere. I don't got to go to church. No, no, no. It is very important for you to come and gather with believers, but church is everywhere. It's a place where we worship. It's a place where people come. It's a place where we, we the Christ believers, the Christians come. But how we understand and perceive the church and how we, we look at that, it's quite important to determine how we live our faith. How we live our faith is very much dependent on how we perceive the church. Y'all following me? I need a little, I mean, I don't know if you guys are listening to me, looking at me, watching me, but shout me, say amen or something. Say I'm here. And, and we need to be sure in Jesus. We need to be sure in Jesus. And uh, a lot of the times we can come to church and we see all of us here, but we don't know the next neighbor that's next to you. You can look around. You don't know what they went through the week, how they came to church, but you know that they came in through those doors. They walked in. They had a seat. They worshiped. They heard the word. But just become, because you come to church doesn't necessarily mean that you're made, you're, you're made free automatically or that you're more Christ-like automatically. No. That is dependent on our actions and how we do and how we perceive our faith. Can we all follow me there? You all agree with that? All right. So... Depending on how we come, God knows everything. God sees everything. He knows your heart. He knows who you are. He knows everything you went through. I don't. This is the first time you see me. This is the first time I see you. I don't know much about you. You might not know much about me. But God knows each one of us very, very well. But just like I said, because we're here does not mean that the neighbor next to you is free or not free. And you might come in in the freedom of Christ, or you might come in waiting for Christ to deliver you from something that you went through the week. And just because I come to church doesn't necessarily make me a Christian. I have to follow Jesus. I have to be like Jesus. Being Christian is a simply Christ-like. In fact, in Acts, when they refer to the Christians, they refer to them kind of as mocking them. They said, oh, look, look, there goes the Christians. There goes the, the Christians, you know. So how we become like Christ-like, that's action. That's what we do. That's our daily living. So just because, you know, you can go from Monday through Saturday 
without even speaking to Jesus. And like I said, just because you come here doesn't make you a Christian. The same way, and this is said in the movie, you could park a Mazda in a garage for 20 years doesn't make it a Cadillac. It doesn't. It won't. You know, you'd have to make some changes, pull the car out, put a new car in, save some money, do some things. There's an action behind that. So just because I go to my favorite restaurant and I love this favorite dish does not make me a chef. And I, even though I eat the dish 50 times, 100 times throughout the year, doesn't give me nothing. I, I won't know how to make it. I might try to. But it's, it's something that there's someone that does it for me. So it's not an automatic thing. So as I said, I'm a pastor's kid. Uh, I, I was raised in the church. In fact, I'm jealous uh, for the people who come to Christ at a later age in life. I really say that. I've said it multiple times. I don't know what it's like to experiment Jesus without knowing of Jesus. If you guys follow me there. I was raised with Jesus, followed with Jesus. There's a saying in Spanish that says, I was, I was born basically underneath the pews, you know, uh, just raised in the church. In fact, when, when uh, my family, my father would take us on vacations, our vacations was go to a different state and he would preach. You know, there wasn't, a, we didn't go to Disneyland. We didn't go anywhere. It was literally, we'd go to different states and my father would preach. And every so often, you know, he'd try to find a hotel along the road. My father does not fly. Uh, he's terrified of flights. He only says he flies on a plane if God tells him to. But he will drive all the way to Texas or drive all the way to Florida because, you know, I don't know if he feels more like and he's in control. God knows why. But we, we, we would get in these cars. I got four siblings and, you know, you're fighting along the way and get out of the way. And I got to go to the restroom and I'm hungry and we would make it. And, and you know, like I said, he would preach and everything. Uh, once one of those times when we were in Texas, there was this big old conference we went to, it was about 5,000 people, and this uh, church, they had a school of ministry, and I was around the age of 17, and I remember being 36 hours away from here, West Michigan, and they said, whoever wants to stay for this uh, ministry school, you know, we're going to cut it at half price and sign up, and I looked at my parents and I said, I want to join, I want to be here, I want to stay here. Can you imagine driving 36 hours and leaving your kid and coming home? You know, I don't know if my parents were joyful. I don't know if my mom was crying. I don't know what. But they left me there. A few months later, they went back. And God did some wonderful things in my life. And one of the reasons why I decided to stay, and this is part of the message. One of the reasons why I decided to stay. About four months prior to this visit, my brother, around the age of 13 years old, raised in the church similar to me. Going to church every Sunday, going to church midweek service, going to the youth groups, everything. There was a, a bad or a, a not great influential youth member there and decided to let my brother, a 13, 12-year-old, try drugs. At the age of around 13, my brother, younger brother, was already a drug addict. And this school was kind of considered a Christian boot camp. And we decided to send him, and just like I said, this is months prior to this conference. They decided to send him, and in fact, he got expelled from the school. You know, the, the, the director called my father. Like I said, he is a pastor, the senior pastor and everything, and he called him. And he said, uh, Victor, in all of my years, never have I had an incident like your son's. I said, well, what happened? In the middle of classroom. 
He was like, give me drugs. In the middle of Christian class. And then he, my father was like, well, I'll go for him. He's like, no, 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 hold on. Just imagine, this is 36 hours away. He said, you know what? I also got to tell you, your son's not a man. My father's like, you know, I'm on the phone. I'm like, how are you calling my son? It's not a man. And he's like, no, but don't worry. I'm going to send him to what they refer to in Mexico, La Sierra, which is basically out in the country, God's country, middle, you know, and, and there's mountain ranges out there, and they sent him out there, and there was a rehab center. And this rehab center was mixed with everyone. There was 30, 40-year-old, 50-year-old men, and here's this 13-year-old boy. We didn't know nothing about him. We, we, my brother fell off the map. There was no reception. This is 20 years ago. There wasn't no service. There was no FaceTime. There wasn't anything. And, you know, all we would do, I remember my mother would grab his picture, and she'd put it on his door, uh, on his door of his room, and we'd always pray for him and the room. And particularly, I don't know why, I don't know what revelation, but she would ask us to pray for his bed. Maybe symbolizing the, where he was resting at the moment and everything. But she would make us pray for his bed. And we'd pray for his bed. God, change his life, treat with him, work with him, you know, do something in his life and so on. And we didn't know nothing about him. Three months later, this is where this conference happens. And like I said, it's this huge event. Your brother's about to arrive. And we're just waiting for my brother. We're waiting for my brother. And mind you, when I last saw him, he's a drug addict, uh, young kid and everything. And, and he comes down the hallway. This is a big mega church. He's coming down the hallway. I see him from far away, and I kind of recognize him, and I don't recognize him. I don't know about your siblings, but I'm pretty sure you know who your sibling is. You can recognize him a mile away. And I see him, and I kid you not, I'm like, is that him or is that not him? The way he walked, the way he smiled, the way he, he was so joyful and eager to meet us. God had changed his life completely, turned him around like 180 degrees, and I mean a full turn and completely different. And I saw in that moment, like if it was Jesus walking down the aisle. And, and the, what I mean by that, Jesus was so present in his life. I saw Jesus in his life. I was like, who are you? And he was so happy. Never have I seen a smile. His glow. I mean, he, me and him are like night and water. He's hairy, I'm not. He's dark, I'm light. <laughs> uh, you know, he, I'm taller, he's shorter. But when I, I was like, who are you? His skin looked different. His smile was, his nose looked different. I was like, man, this guy looks beautiful. You know, and every and, and that's why I was like, I want to stay. I want to stay. So we stayed. Um, and knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus is what makes us complete. Knowing him. Now, that's easier said than done. Let's dive in because you guys are probably like, well, Israel's been talking forever. Where's the scripture at? Let's go to Matthew 16, 13. I don't know if it's on the, on the, on the screens or, or not, but I'll start reading here. Actually, I was about to read in Spanish because, like I said, my notes are in Spanish. It says uh, in 13, oh, well, we have it right there, perfect. Uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and excuse me because I usually say Caesarea de Filipos, which that's how you say it in Spanish. Um, Caesarea, is that right? Help me out. 
That's good enough, right? You guys get it. He came to this region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked the disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say Jesus is? I don't know this camera. Can you follow me or not? Or am I supposed to stay in the zone here? But who do people say I am? If Jesus came to you and asked you, and let me put this in more contextualization. If Jesus came and asked you for the car enthusiast, it said, what kind of model is that car? Oh, man, that's a, that's a this car with this engine. It's got a differential axle and then locking transmission and this and that. Oh, awesome. Hey, can you tell me what fantasy football is? Oh, no, it's the greatest thing, man. You could, you could pick quarterbacks. You could pick running backs. You could pick this. All right, who is Jesus? Uh, well, he's this guy that, you know, came to the world, died for our sins. You know, who, if Jesus stood here and asked you and said, who do you say that I am? What would we answer? Let's put, some, let's put some thought into this. Go on this journey with me. So you got to look at this picture. This is in this region. And I've actually, I've never been to Israel. It's one of my dreams. So looking for sponsors, hashtag. Uh, but, you know, when I go, when I go, one of my biggest trips is going to this place. I've seen pictures of it. I've heard messages about it. It's actually, it's, it's let me put some, some more in the background of this, it's a place that Christ followers or good people, because there wasn't really Christ followers in that moment. Christ was building the followers. You wouldn't be associated with this place. Think about Mardi Gras times 10 and Sin City times 20. In fact, it's, it's, it was a location that it had, um, I'm trying to find the words to say this in English, but it had this big boulder mountain thingy, rock, whatever. And at the bottom of it, there was like a little river with a cave. And you, like I said, you guys can Google this picture later. Uh, and people would go there and they would practice paganism. They would actually do sacrifices and blood stuff and just horrible things. In fact, they actually worshipped the Greek mythology god Pan that was half man, half sheep or goat, whatever. Uh, and he's actually like the sex god and this and that. And, you know, it was, it was a very bad place. And can you imagine in Mexico today and even years ago, when you would travel, there's actually roads. There's actually a toll road and a free road. But back then, there was only the free roads. And Mexico is very easy to get from city to city. Maybe when you're in the city, it's a little bit different. But from city to city, it's basically a sign that says that way. And that's it. And you want to go to this city, it's that way. No, no, there's no question about it. So these roads were very practical. And here comes Jesus with the disciples. Come on, you guys, let's start walking. And here we are walking. You know, where are we going? Jesus, I don't know, just follow me. And can you imagine the disciples going and then Jesus turns and starts heading towards this place. And the disciples are like, where are we going? Uh, Jesus, I think you, think you took the wrong turn. Because this is to Cesarea de, de Philippi, and we, we don't go there. You know, we know what's there. We don't go there. You know, and... Jesus doesn't say anything, shows up. And in this place, like I said, there's this big old mountainy rock thing. And Jesus takes them to the top. And this is where this scripture takes place. In this rock, let's just pretend that this is the cliff of it. And down there was everything that was happening. The world, the paganism, the separation of God, all these acts that were horrible. And Jesus says, who do they say I am? That's what he says. Who do they say that I am? Who does they say 
that I am. My surrounding, my family, my cousins, my school, my job, who do they say I am? Well, Jesus, some say that you're a prophet. That's what 14 says. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah. 15, it says, but who do you say that I am? And you got to think about this. Jesus was on a mission. He knew the time he had. He knew how much time he had. And that's why he has to be extremely dramatic and take them to this place. And he says, there's a sense of urgency, guys. There's a sense of urgency. Who do they say I am? They're lost. There's a, associate you with this and associate you with that. And there's so many preachers that they don't even know what. And there's so many questions now. And there's so much social media now and influences from, from all of this and everything. And, you know, it's all off, it's all off the chain, right? Okay, I get it. They don't know me. They don't know me. It's fine. They might hear about me, but now who do you say I am? And, and, and Simon, which is Peter, says, well, in 15 or 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I imagine in this moment, Jesus had a sigh of relief. I really do. I imagine that. Like a big, ah, one of you got it. If one of you got it, we're on the right track. See, Jerusalem in this moment is under the Roman Empire. And we know that they've been waiting for the Messiah, someone to come and free them and save them and liberate them. And that's why they, they, they battled with Jesus proclaiming this because they were like, well, how are you going to free us from Rome? And Jesus is like, I'm going to free you from everything. I'm going to give you the victory over life. And that's why it was such a need. And when Peter says, well, you're the Savior, the Son of the living God, Jesus knew that he understood that it was much more than just that where they were at. And I've always said this, and I will always say this. When you come to Christ, it stops about being I'll say this again. When you come to Christ, it's no longer about you, and it starts to become about the next person. So that's why the urgency, he says, over. He said, well, let's go 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no one revealed this to you by flesh or blood, but it was revealed by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that Peter uh, and, and this, that over you, Peter, and this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it, will not prevail. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whether, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone. Well, that's a different thing because Jesus was on a mission. So Jesus wants you to tell everyone about Jesus. But this revelation to know who Jesus is will unlock everything for you. Job even said, I heard you, but now I know you. And when we come to church and we come and we sit, we can know about him. We can hear about him, I should say. But when we know him, things change. I remember me at the age of around 14, 13 maybe, middle, middle school. I don't know why. I don't know what I was going through. And I found myself in the second story of our my parents' home, and I was in my bedroom. This was late at night. And I don't know, for some dumb reason, I truly say this, I started thinking about, like, life. And one thing led to another, and this thought kind of derailed. And I was like, is life worth it? Is life worth it? 
And I can't even remember why I was thinking that. And I got to the point where I'm like, man, maybe is it worth living or not? And I clearly remember in that moment, I said, God, I need you. That was the first time without no one in the room that I felt a presence come in like never before. No one was there. And I felt like almost if he embraced me. And in that moment and forever in life, no one can tell me other that, you know, no one can say God doesn't exist. I know that God exists. And God is looking for those experiences in your life for you to say, I know. I know. He's looking to have that encounter with you. He's looking for your response to be like, blessed are you. That's what I want. That moment where like, you know, you have with him and Jesus is like, that's it. Why? Because those moments will take you. So when life comes at you, you say, nah, -uh, life. I know who Jesus is. I know what keys I have. I know that I have the victory. It doesn't matter what the world tells me. It doesn't matter what the circumstances paint around me. It doesn't matter what life tells me or what my job tells me or what my friends tell me. I know Jesus. And in life, like I said, you could be here for, you know, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But it's up to us to try to get to know him. Now, get this. He knows you, but do you know him? He will reveal everything to you, but it's us that opens the door. Now, the home church, the founder of the movement of the, of the home church in England, his name was Canon Ernest Southcott. He said it like this. The holiest moment of church service is the moment when God's people strengthen by the preaching and the sacrament, go out of the church door into the world to be the church. I'll say it again. The holiest moment in a church service is with God's people come and worship, they come and learn, they come and grow, they come and be ministered and go out the door. That out the door is the holiest moment. It's great to be here. It's great for, for Jesus to take care of me and feed me and make me overflow. But for what? For the world. I need to be strengthened for the world. Is the world, like I said, your surrounding, your, your, your family, your job. What is that? Because I tell you, if some, you know, I don't know, we could talk different things. But if I said fishing, I don't know nothing about fishing. I bet you there's some people here be like, oh, I'll teach you some stuff about fishing. I don't know nothing about hunting. I've never gone out hunting to shoot a deer or something. I, last I heard to go after a bear, this and that. Maybe there's people like, I don't, don't talk about hunting because I love animals. Are there are people here that will teach me about animals. You know, but what are we talking about outside of here? You know, it's up to me in my family to have prayer time at home. No one else. I'm not going to put that responsibility on my wife. That's me. You guys can, you guys can, I'm talking about me. Man, don't get in trouble. It's up to me to make sure my household serves God. It's up to me for my household to make it a church. I could be like, ah, you guys could stay. 
It's up to me. It's that decisioning factor. My son here helps out on the cameras on Sundays, on the switchers and everything. You know, the other ones are a little bit younger. But sometimes there's a saying that, you know, we, we the, the government will let a multi-million dollar, 36 million or whatever plane give it to a 21-year-old. But we sometimes don't want to believe in a teenager. You know, so that moment when we're strengthened, it's to go out the door and be Jesus out there. The church is not a place, it's not a building, it's not a location, it's not a denomination. We, we are the church. We are the church. So I, I've said this as well. So there's going to be a moment in your life where you're going to meet people where the only gospel they will ever hear, it'd be the one that you live. I'll say that again. The only Bible some people will ever read is the gospel that you live. I remember when I was around 17 years old, I was excavating, making the big bucks before 9-11. Got there from 6 o'clock in the morning, leave around 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, you meet people and I was like, he's like, oh, yeah, I go to church. Um, and he's very quiet about it. And, you know, he started being not Christ-like with the other coworkers. And this is, I'm young. I, I asked them questions. And I said, hey, man, I thought you'd go to church. He's like, oh, no, I leave Jesus at home so he doesn't get corrupted at church. I mean, at, at work, I'm sorry. I leave Jesus at home so he doesn't get corrupted at work. I was like, what? You know? And he was blunt and dead serious about it, too. I was like, what? It's up to us. It's up to us. Now, I'm sorry, uh, pro presenter team, because I didn't give these. Oh, actually, I did give these scriptures to you. So let's see if you guys got them. But after this, this goes hand in hand, and it's extremely hand in hand. And I'm almost wrapping this up. In Matthew 16, it goes on from this trip to Caesarea Philippi, and it goes into Jesus predicting his death or telling them about his death, right? So 21, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the, at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day he would be raised to life. And on the third day, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you paint, can you paint this picture in your head? Here comes Jesus, takes him to Caesarea de Philippi. And they have this revelation. Here's Peter. Man, Peter, you are blessed, I'm telling you. They leave there, and then Jesus is on to the next thing. Because I got this agenda. We got to get this going. He's like, you guys, I'm going to go, and I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die for humanity. I'm going to do this. And then Peter pulls Jesus to the side and starts rebuking him. Imagine Jesus. It's like, like I said to that kid, what? And Jesus, where after Peter took some aside and begins to rebuke him, he said, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter with the exclamation, I won't yell, don't worry. Get behind me, Satan. 
Those are some tough words. Peter's are like, I got these keys, man. I'm a Jesus' favorite right now. And all of a sudden gets rebuked by Jesus himself. Get behind me, Satan. What's the takeaway of this? Sometimes we want to have these moments where we want to keep Jesus to ourselves. But Jesus knows that Jesus is for everybody. Life is for everybody. Victory is for everybody. Sometimes we got some friends that be like, Jesus, don't save him. It was horrible. I don't like him. Don't bless him. Bless me. You know? Jesus is like, I'm on a mission here. Time is short. How are you going to tell me that I'm not going to do what God himself sent me to do? For God so loved the world. Are you going to tell me don't do that? No, no, no. It's because we want to keep you. I mean, stay here with us. Stay in these four walls with us. Right? Some people, you know, they'll say, what time do you want to live in? If we could go back in time, what age or what time period would you love to live in? Oh, I'd love to live in Jesus' time. Really? Yeah, walk with Jesus, you know, learn with Jesus. Everything would be perfect because I would see the miracles. I would see Jesus acting. All right. Well, let's keep on reading here. Then Jesus said to his disciples after he rebukes uh, uh, Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life for me will find it. What good, and this is, one of, this is honestly one of the scariest verses for me. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? For what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will, be, he will reward each person according to what they have done. I remember last year during the pandemic, I went to Home Depot, right, not to make commercials or nothing. And, uh, you know, you got to have your mask on. You go to Home Depot. And I remember I saw a family member. It's a girl, girl cousin of mine. I had my mask. I had glasses. And I had a hat on. And I go up to her, you know. And her husband's there too. But I show up. And I'm like, I don't know why. I think I grabbed a cart or something. But I was like, oh, hi, Mari. And then I left. And then I was walking away. I turned back. And I know that they were, like, confused. They're like, who was that? And, I, you know, I'm like, maybe I should have introduced myself. But sometimes we're in this mode where we think that people know. But we need to show them. We think that they know. Oh, they know. You know, sometimes when we give leadership classes to our leaders, we're like, quit thinking that people, or don't, I mean, you find the right words. Don't perceive or expect that they know everything. And not to make them, not to think less. But sometimes we're so used, especially because we come to church, that we speak the church language all the time. Like, oh, we know. You guys know the story about Jonah, right? 
I know the story of, you remember when, uh, you know, this? And you're like, no. <laughs> I don't remember. Because we speak like that sometimes. Who do they say that I am? And who do you say that I am? When you know somebody, you know somebody. I got friends and I got accomplices. Is that the right word? Accomplices? I got people that I associate with. And then you have friends. And then I have my wife. <laughs> and as life goes by, those that are married, you get to know the person. But I could probably say, you know, there's still stuff to learn about my wife. And she probably say there's still stuff to learn about you. It's not a one-time solve-all equation to come to Christ and know him. It's a lifelong journey. And while we are walking in this journey, Jesus says, take your cross, pick it up, and come with me. Let's go on this journey together. Because it's not just about saving our lives. It's about giving your life and saving other lives. It's about knowing Jesus. Yes. It's about accepting him in his heart. Of course, extremely important. But it's about walking with Christ, acting like Christ, being like Christ. So my challenge to you, if I may, have that in your hearts the whole week. The people around you at work or the people you associate and be like, who do they say that Jesus is? And then who do you... Who, Jesus, I'm going to describe you if you were to ask me. I have friends of all kind. Atheist friends, backslid friends, friends that have left church friends. And I still associate with all of them. Talk with them. I have lunch with them. And I let them ask every question they can ask. I was like, come on, you guys, ask whatever you want to ask. Because I could think of someone raised in church and everything, but this person never knew Jesus. Never knew him. In fact, I, I invited him this morning. He was like, it's too early. But I'm constantly working with them. They call me the priest, like him and his friends. Oh, here comes the priest. I was like, at least change it, man. Call me the preacher or something, you know? Oh, who are you guys is with? Oh, I'm here with this person and the priest. They know where I stand. They do. They know that I'm not going to move my foundation. So they can be themselves. I tell them, oh, no, no, talk right because he's coming. Be you. It's, at the end of the day, that's your life. But what I'm in the mission for is for them to see someone having integrity. And is it tough? Yes, it is. Is it difficult sometimes? Yes, it is. Will they poke at you sometimes? Of course they will. But you need to stand on that rock and be like, I ain't moving. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are my Savior. You are the Son of the living God. And you are alive and you are present and you are real. 
in First Thessalonians, we don't have to go there. It simply speaks about, and I'll give you the scripture, 2-4. Actually, you could put it up. I see you got it ready. Is that there? Boom. All right. On the contrary, we speak on those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please, is that what it says? We are not trying to please people, but we're trying to please God who tests our hearts. I love the translation in Spanish a little bit more. It says, therefore, we have been approved by God for the gospel. God has entrusted you, entrusted you to live that life with Christ. It's sometimes the simple stuff that kind of gets us. You guys remember WW. JD, hashtag, what would Jesus do? It's such a simple question. In fact, a few weeks ago, they gave my son that bracelet. And uh, I was like, man, let me wear that bracelet. Let me steal it. What would Jesus do? And then not be like a fashion or a hip thing, but a reality thing. You know, when you're in the mirror, you're brushing your teeth. Like, what would Jesus do today? I love this scene from the Bible series or the Son of God movie, which was the same thing as the Bible series. It's the scene where Jesus is on the sea or on a boat. I don't know if he was on the sea, maybe a lake. But he meets Peter for the first time and he invites Peter into this journey with him as a disciple. And Peter says, what are we going to do? And Jesus, this actor guy, turns around with a smile and says, save the world. And I visualize that. I'm a very, I'm a very uh, I don't even know what word to say, but imaginary person. Is that the right word? Spanglish, don't mind me. But I do. When I see these, these uh, things, I visualize. I try to be like, is that how it was? You know? And can you imagine Jesus you're Peter. What are we going to do today? Save the world. That's what we're doing today. So my challenge to you is, who do you say Jesus is? Now, you can keep it a secret, which I don't think you should. Or you can start sharing it. I'm not saying you're not sharing it. But sometimes it's not about getting on the corner of Washington here and start shouting. You know, what you could do, start shouting who Jesus is. It's more about living how Jesus would. Let God find us acting in this journey with him the way that Jesus wants us to act. Not living how we were, but living how we are now redeemed. Living how now we are cleaned every day. And living in the fullness of God. God does not hold anything back from us. He wants you to live in the fullness in your identity. It's all there. Your inheritance is there. He doesn't hold anything back. God's like, let's do it. Jesus is like, come on. 
In fact, we could, I could keep on going. We could speak about the heroes of faith in Hebrews, how they cheer for you and they say, come on, let's do it. Get here, get to the journey. But I don't want to overstay my welcome because my time is almost up here. But I do want to invite you this morning. Let's make a prayer about this. Is that okay? If you guys can join me and stand on your feet. Before we get all religious and bow our heads, because I haven't said bow your heads yet. <laughs> our success, I'll say it to this side, our success ends in heaven. Say that. My success ends in heaven. We are pilgrims. We don't establish ourselves here on earth because guess what? We'll all be dust and soil at the end. Our success is in heaven. I want to establish myself up there. I want, when I go into heaven, for Jesus to be like, watch out, where's Israel? Oh, there you are, buddy. There you are. As like I said, I'm a very imaginative person. Can you just imagine that? Making it, you know, uh, a few months ago, and I mean, this week we lost a, a great worship leader over in Granville. And, but a few months ago, I actually officiated a funeral for a 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy. Little boy had cancer, big, long battle. And he'd always go to church, and this kid ministered me so much, blessed me so much. To me, it was an honor to speak at the funeral. And I gave a story of him when, uh, you know, I went up to him, and I was like, and it was Mauricio. And I said, Mauricio, you know, do you need prayer? What can I do for you? And he's going through his treatment and everything. You could tell his exhaustion on his face. He's like, yeah, you could pray. I thought he was going to be like, can you pray for God to heal me? Can you pray for God? He's like, this is exactly what he said. He's like, can you help me pray for my grandpa? He's sometimes angry a lot towards my grandma. and I want God to work in his life. He put other people in the midst of what he was going through. So a 13-year-old boy kind of gave me spiritual slaps across my face. It's not about us, and I mean that with respect, but it's about the other person. God will take care of you. If you take care of God, God will take care of you. That's a fact. So let's pray here and just join me in this prayer. Father God, I ask that you continue to reveal yourself to us. Like in Corinthians says, like in a mirror, God. We don't have our face covered. Face to face, looking at you. Transform us, God. Make us more like you. We give ourselves away, Jesus. We give ourselves away. We let you take everything that you need to take and bring everything you need to bring, God. Continue to work in our lives. Work in our homes. Work in all of our surroundings. Just how you are, church, if you could keep your heads bowed. I want to make an invitation. The same way how all of us here are trying to know Jesus, Jesus wants to know you. 
And if you haven't came to Jesus, haven't given your life to Jesus, this is your opportunity today. Those that are watching, those that are here. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it will be the best decision of your life. He can be the perfect companion, your best friend, your counselor, your peacemaker, your hope for what you need. If that is you, while everyone has their head bowed, I want you to raise your hand if you can. No one is watching. It's between you and God right now. I want the whole church to repeat after me. Those that are watching, if you accepted Jesus, repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my past. Make me new, Jesus. I accept you in my heart as my Lord and Savior and write my name in the book of life. It's that easy to accept Jesus. He knocks at your door and he just says, let me in. If you did that prayer, Jesus is now in your heart. Let him start to grow and work in your life. Give him that. Allow him to do that. Allow him to work in your life. If you accepted Jesus, I'd love to meet you at the end of the service. I'll be here.